morning. Good morning. Morning. So we were supposed to do three to five minutes, and then uh, I told Pastor John, well, I kind of need to set the tone, and then kind of need to tell it, and then kind of need to explain it. And he goes, oh, well, that's not three minutes. I was like, yeah, probably not. So I apologize. I kind of just took over. But that's where we are today. So God is faithful. That's my testimony. God is faithful. What does that mean to you? If we look in the Old Testament, we can see lots of examples that God, of God at work. Uh, after the creation, the temptation, the fall, and the flood, we see God coming to Abraham, sorry, Abram and saying, Go. Go to the land I will show you. And that go came with a promise of a blessing of a great nation. It also came with the way that everyone else was also going to receive a blessing. Soon after that, there was the covenant with Abraham. Then Abraham calling God Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides, because he provided a ram for Abraham and Isaac to sacrifice. Next came the plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, and then the miracles in the desert. And interestingly, the very first miracle in the desert also had to do with water. And that was where he turned bitter waters sweet. And that's where he was described as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals us. That's in the very next verse in Exodus chapter 15. It's actually verse 26 where we read, He said, If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in His eyes, pay attention to His commands, and keep all His statutes. I will not inflict any illness on you I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. You're probably more familiar with the one in Second Chronicles chapter 7 where, it, where he talks about I will heal your land, which is pretty much applicable today as it was then. Then we have Deborah, Naomi, and Ruth, King David and his victories, King Solomon and his building of the temple and his palace, the prophets and numerous other stories of faith. And through it all, we can see that God is good, and He had a plan. And as we look back, we can see, because we have the benefit of hindsight, we can see that the Old Testament foretold the New Testament, and the New Testament fulfilled the Old Testament. And so it is with us today. For the, at least for those of us that have been testing gravity longer than some of the others here, um, we can look back in our lives... And we can see we've had those ups and downs. Those moments of faith and moments of failures. Those times when we acknowledge God is good. And those times when we're in the valley. And we have to turn to God for help. But we do because we know God is there. And we know God is good. He is our Jehovah Jireh. Our Jehovah Rapha. Our Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace, and he's our shepherd. And he's so much more. So God is good. 
We can see it time and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in our lives too. But what exactly then does God is faithful mean? We've kind of looked at all that God is good and all the things working. What is God is faithful? Well, that's what J.J. read this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, specifically verse 9. So let's look and see what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth. He said, God is faithful. So it's a declarative statement. But then he went on and explained it. He said, God is faithful. By him, you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. By him, you were called into fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. It's that simple. That's his plan. Our salvation. You see, God is patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. So it doesn't matter when we're saved. He's there for us when we're ready. So I kind of liken God is good to taking care of the day-to-day events. Kind of the here and now, so to speak. And I liken God as faithful to taking care of the here and after. God is faithful. That's my testimony. So how does that verse, God is faithful, apply to me? Well, I'll tell you, it all started right here at Oak Chapel. I grew up across the road here from here. I attended Sunday school and church here. I participated in MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship, is what it was called back then. I completed confirmation here. I participated in Cub Scouts. They have a reverence for God. I also participated in 4-H here. Basically, as I recall, I was pretty much doing the same thing as all the other kids here. And there's a few of you that might be able to tell me if I'm right or wrong on that. But yet, I never understood the meaning of God is good or God is faithful. So, well, not really so, but on Christmas Eve, 1975, I enlisted in the Air Force. And I was subsequently called to active duty the following summer. After completing basic training in San Antonio, I was stationed in Mississippi for electronic school. Now at that point, I was only a thousand miles away from home, which also happened to be where my girlfriend lived at the time. (laughs) Um, In January of 77, I was transferred to upstate New York. That was cool. That was only 750 miles from home. So I was getting closer. And that was going to be my permanent assignment um, for who knows how long, which exactly. Because things were looking up, but then all of a sudden, about halfway through training there, uh, the instructor came and said, we need three volunteers to go to Mountain Home Air Force Base, Idaho. And we're like, where is that? And then in the typical military fashion, he said, And the volunteers are. And yes, I was one of them. Which meant I was headed to a desert. 
some 2,000 miles away to a place that had no mountains. I mean, it was closer to the end of the earth than to the mountains, but you could see the mountains from there. After completing training there, I was assigned to a squadron. And that's when I began shift work. That was the first time ever. I had never worked shift work before. There's no such thing on a farm. So it didn't take long for me to figure out I needed to do something with the rest of my day. And so I went to the unemployment office. They kind of gave me a funny look, maybe a little bit like some of you are right now. But I went to the employment office, and they put me in touch with a rancher. He hired me, and I started driving his New Holland, that's a capital N, New Holland hay bale stacker, which was hard to say quick. It was nothing like anything I'd ever done before. There was no heavy lifting involved. It pretty much did all the work itself. I thought I'd found my niche in life. <laughs> then one rainy day that fall of 77, when I showed up for work, the rancher said I needed to take the tractor out to the field in case the septic truck got stuck. I was kind of, I mean, I grew up here. I grew up with a septic. I didn't know anything about a septic. I learned a little bit that day. So I took the tractor out. Well, actually, so I found out that day a little bit more about septic. I found out what this guy was actually doing and what I was going to be part of. And so you can imagine me falling from that hail bale stacker operator down to having to pull this truck if he got stuck. So needless to say, I definitely was not all that impressed. And I had to ride with this guy on the way back the first trip, out and back the second trip, and then out the third trip because I got to bring the tractor back on the, on the last trip. And we made small talk going each way because obviously we had nothing in common at all with each other. And uh, when we got to the last part, I'm ready to jump out of the truck, get on the tractor, and he reaches over and says, have you been saved? I was not expecting that. I can guarantee you. I said, no, I hadn't. Then I said yes to Jesus. Then he prayed for me. That was my day of salvation. It's hard to get through every time. It's like I relive it. <clears throat> but what are the odds? I was voluntarily assigned to Mountain Home, hired by Sid Irwin, who later invited Cindy and me with his wife to attend their church filled with a pastor from Village Missions. It was a rainy day. It was a full septic tank. And it was a Christian septic truck driver. Indeed, what are the odds? God is faithful. That's my testimony. What's your testimony? I haven't heard most of yours, but let me tell you what I know about your testimony. It's yours. It's personal. It's like a fingerprint. It's unique. It's God coming to you right where you are and saying, follow me. He comes at the right time in the right place for you. While each experience is unique, Jesus Christ is the center of every experience. Now I like to think of it from a little bit of a mathematical 
perspective, probably as Miriam would, I like to call it the invitation spectrum. So on this one end, we have those people that just hear the, follow me, and they respond. Kind of like the disciples. It just happens. It's easy. On the other end of the spectrum, you kind of have the Saul's of the world who have a very sudden and noticeable experience when they're asked, why do you persecute me? And then for me, I kind of like to think that I'm kind of closer down on this mildly stubborn part of the spectrum when he came to me and I responded. But the entire spectrum is God's. And you can't decide where you are on that, which is part of the neat thing. Because no matter where we fall in the spectrum, this is true. It's not about the invitee. It's not about the invitation. It's about the inviter, who's Jesus Christ. So, should you tell your story? My answer is yes. And here's how you do it. You start by telling yourself. Remind yourself of the great, great things he hath done in your life. You tell your best friend. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Tell your pastor about Jesus who yield his life, your redemption, to win. Tell a group he opened the life gate that all may come in. No matter where you are on that invitation spectrum, your testimony will be an inspiration to others. It'll be an inspiration to yourself. In closing, let me reread part of the gospel lesson that Pastor John read. So in Matthew chapter 16, the first two verses, sorry, the first two verses that he read, 13 and 14, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. That was me when I left home, before being saved. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. How often is that true? It's easy to understand why Pastor John wants to get an active youth program here. Because I left and I fell away, got busy with life, and was tugged back because I had that foundation here from Oak Chapel. If we follow on in that chapter, the next couple of verses that Pastor John read, this was Jesus kind of saying, yeah, I don't care about that. He says, but you... Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. That was me after being saved. I no longer knew about Jesus. I knew Jesus. God is faithful. That's my testimony.